the Jason Bell Podcast, everybody. Thank you very much. Listen, wherever you are, what are you doing right now? Always interested to know what people are doing when they're listening to a podcast. Some people, of course, are in the gym, having a bit of a run. Some people are lying on the beach, the lucky ones, aren't they? Lying on the beach, listening to a podcast. If that's you, I'm slightly envious, but hello and welcome to the podcast. Some people are cooking up a storm in the kitchen. Some people got it on the background while they cook, maybe cooking for the kids, which brings us on beautifully. As a nice segue, if you are, and you want some new ideas in the kitchen, or you're just looking to get out of a potentially a health slump or a bad health slump, and you need something to inspire you into fresh, clean cooking with unbelievable tastes and flavors that will leave you satisfied and actually wanting to cook more and more. The good news is I have somebody very special today on our podcast. Very rarely do I get any chefs, uh, let alone somebody as good, good is the understatement as this guest. My name is, she's an international Emmy nominated TV chef, uh, cookery author. She's become an ambassador of Chinese cooking around the world. And I actually saw this wonderful lady cooking a storm on Sunday brunch with me old mucker, Simon Rimmer. I got in contact with her on Twitter. She went, oh, I've got one of your books, which, which was wonderful as well. Complimentary. I am talking about Ching He Wang, everybody. Big round of applause. Come on, let's thank you very much indeed. Ching, can, can, obviously you're well known as Ching. I just call you Ching. Hi, Jason. Yeah, just call me Ching. Okay, I just call you Ching. Well, well listen, well, welcome to the podcast. I really genuinely appreciate you being on and about to share some of your wisdom, cooking wisdom, I think I will call it. A bit of background, you can just tell me a couple of things here. I'm re reading up. A lot of the things that I've got in front of me are from our friend Google, as always. Okay, so... so Reliable. Yeah, well, exactly. Mr. Google could be, could be wrong, of course. <laughs> But let's start with the US. So you're, where are you from? Start off for your story. I, for those that genuinely have been on under a rock and don't know of you for whatever reason, where did you start clean eating, Asian cooking, all this kind of stuff? What inspired you? You know, where are you from? Did you get your first break in America? Where, where are we at? Mm -hmm. Well, I started cooking, well, gosh, about almost 20 years now. So yeah, no, won't talk about my age, <laughs> but I, I was born in Taiwan and we emigrated to South Africa. And then as a family, we emigrated to the UK and I learned how to cook from my mother, who's, you know, a busy mom at that time. And cutting a long story short, I found myself in television. I had a food business at that time. It was called Fuji and it was preparing fresh, ready to eat foods coming fresh out of uni. I didn't know what to do. I had an economics degree and all my friends were going to become accountants and bankers in the city. And I didn't really fancy that. And at that time, you know, lots of different things. My parents were in a bad way in terms of their financial debts because they'd lost lots of money when they emigrated to the UK at that time um, and lost everything and so tried to make a living you know, it was really, really difficult, really stressful. So cutting a long story short, it was an amalgamation of everything. I was, you know, at a crossroads. I didn't know what I wanted to do. We were broke as a family and about to lose our house. And, you know, food was all I knew. I mean, I grew up on my grandmother's farm in Taiwan, you know, seeing her cook on her great stove. You know, both my grandparents are farmers, a rice farmer on one side and 
a bamboo farmer and orangery on my maternal grandparents' side. And so it was really strange at that time. I just, you know, wanted to go into food, but I didn't know how, I didn't know what to do. But coming back from uni one day, saw a lovely shiny sandwich shop and it was Pret that opened up and they were selling noodle salads, just some threads of noodles, a few bean sprouts and some sesame seeds and a packet of soy sauce. And they were going for £2.99. I bought it and £2.99 to me, you know, in 1999, around that time, was really expensive. I went back to my university and ate this noodle salad. And I thought, gosh, no, this is terrible. We could do better than that. And I was quite, I think I was quite arrogant to think that I could do better than that. But you know, I thought, well, the noodle salads we have in, in Taiwan, where I'm from and across Asia, it's so delicious. You'd have like sesame peanut sachet, you'd have chili soy, you know, you'd have different flavors and you'd also have different toppings. Hence, I started my little food business. It was a catering business to start and, uh, you know, doing sandwiches and jacket potatoes for, for this literally in this industrial sort of office complex. <laughs> so delivering to the office. So one of those companies that if you worked in the office, you'd, you'd all get together. So right, who wants what today? They'd put in the order. You'd come to the office building and you'd deliver them what they wanted. Yes, exactly. And then a long story short, you know, I got together, you know, HACCP systems and, you know, little, which were just basically health and safety from the local council. And I cobbled together a small catering company. As you do. Yeah. As you do, yeah. Make a living. Yeah, of course. (laughs) That then propelled me into different areas. And just by chance, I met my now husband at that time. His sister was working for UK Food and I would help her. Maybe she could do some PR for me and I had no idea what PR was. And so we decided to help each other out. And she introduced me to a lovely commissioner at UK Food. And from there on, I brought like a little picnic of things, you know, noodle salads and healthy, fresh bites and uh, little bits of dim sum. And he really enjoyed it. And he said, well, I'd love all this. And you must come on our flagship show and you must cook on the show. And I thought, oh, God, where is this leading? <laughs> um, so I got called and I did an audition and they really loved it. And I made a noodle salad that day. <laughs> um, and then they asked me to come back to do a live taping. And I honestly didn't know where this was going, but I even remember they said on the day, could you cook something vegetarian and um, something Asian, you know, something Chinese? And I thought, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I even remember to this day, I cooked a Buddha vegetable stir fry with odd bits and ends that you'd be able to find in your fridge. It went really well. And so they kept saying, oh, come back and come back. And And which channel was this on? Where was this? Is in the UK? UK food. Yeah. I was on UK food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, hosted by Jenny Barnett. That's where I met Simon because, you know, he was like the superstar chef. Um, he still is, you know, together with that group, even Paul Hollywood would come. Oh, wow, they were all there. Okay, of course they were, yeah. And it was a real sort of foodie, uh, chef-y sort of show. And I, and I thought to myself many times, you know, I was called back again and again. I thought, what am I doing here? I'm not, I'm not really a chef. I mean, I have a food business. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I'm not really a TV chef. But I really enjoyed it. And I, and my parents, being tiger Asian parents, they were like, what are you doing on that show? I mean, you concentrate on the business. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, well, how much are they paying you on TV? But all I remember was this, is that I really enjoyed 
cooking and sharing my food with with the audience. I had messages at that time, you know. Because there was no social media, obviously, at the there time. Was no, social no, no, no. So you couldn't interact directly. Yeah, you had to rely on them either writing in <laughs> or, or sending okay. a card. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I think they had a forum on Great Food Live in UK food, and there were a lot of positive comments. And the producer said, "Please come back. We'd love for you to cook." And I realised at that point, as I was doing it, I didn't really question it. I thought. Well, actually, you know, I'm, I far enjoy this. This is really creative, and I'm really sharing how to make healthy, delicious food. It, it's much more satisfying on a soul level than trying to create food to a certain budget for yeah. food producers who didn't really understand food. They were just always looking and always saying, "Oh, Chen, yeah, okay, we love that salad that you've just come up with." Because they were always asking for new products and new tastes and new flavors, but then they couldn't afford it, and they always yeah. said, "Well, could you do it for one pound forty-five?" <laughs> and my budget was always one pound forty-five. <laughs> yeah, okay. it got to a point then. Uh, from one show, I got a, a mini show on UK food, um, Coaching's Kitchen. Okay, and then from there on, I had a, a book offer. So my first book, China Modern, and for two years, I was sort of dipping in my toes in TV cooking. And writing my book, and also running my food business, and it was really difficult. It was a lot of long hours, as you know, in your business too. It was you're you're juggling a lot. Well, it's what people don't see, Ching. It's the stuff. It's one of the. My mum always taught me it takes, on average, ten years to be an overnight success. Yeah. You know, there is no such thing as an overnight success, particularly well-known chefs like Gordon Ramsay or whatever else that are tenacious workers because they have to be.、Mm -hmm. um, that they start businesses and everything else, and inevitably most want to start their own restaurant because that's where the passion is. They want to, you know, or create something or write. You know, like you said, you had to balance, write books, do this, do. TV. So for two years, I'm not surprised. It was really, really difficult. And you did China Modern. That was your first one. And how did that? How did that go down? It went down really well, and thankfully, I was really surprised. And I, it was that on that journey when I realised that actually this is what I really want to do, because all of a sudden I was through food. I was going back to my roots and thinking about what my grandmother would cook for me and recipes from my family and my culture. And I realised I didn't really know. That much about it because we left when I was very young, and there was part of my identity that was missing, really. And yeah, I felt it was very therapeutic going back and revisiting and learning and relearning because when I was growing up and my parents were going through tough times, all I wanted to do was to be blonde-haired, blue-eyed, fit in with the crowd, you know, at school, <laughs> chase boys, and you know, and I had to cut my teeth, as you quite said, you know, about. Um, Gordon Ramsay and and the other chefs. I had to cut my teeth cooking for my dad at home because he was a terrible cook growing、right. up. He went, whereas my mum, you know, would go out to work,、um, and she had to go back to Taiwan and work a lot. And、um, and my dad was tasked with looking after myself and my brother. But cooking was the one thing that he was really bad at. So, <laughs> sorry, dad. So yeah, everyone's not listening. So my mum would teach me how to cook. You know, simple, basic. Recipes, and so from eleven till you know fifteen, sixteen, that's what I was doing when my when my friends were going out on a Friday or a Saturday night. But that's what people that's what appeals to people at the moment. I think, like I said, simple, easy meals, rustle them up. I mean, one of your books.、Uh, Ching's Chinese food in a minute. Now that appeals to me. Now that is my kind of book. So yeah. So then I found myself,、um, you know, in on this food journey. So first it was revisiting my roots with China Modern and thinking how to create things, you know, differently and exciting. 
And then it was Chinese Speed in Minutes that followed a show on Channel 5. And which, oh, really? And, I mean, that was a lot of fun. We shot that in the depths of winter. It was wow. the oldest winter ever. Uh, half of it was shot in Chinatown in London. And people thought I was selling food. <laughs> when it was oh, because like you cook. Oh, you actually you did the show outside. You were doing it outside. We did it outside, half oh, wow. outside and half indoors. But um, wow. it was a lot of fun. And it just shows you that Chinese food, it is possible to create something healthy and fresh from scratch. And as you know, being in, in healthy food business, it's, you know, fresh is best. And I learned uh, lots of different tricks. And, you know, I, I had to, you know, test and retry recipes just to get them right and think, well, what would people have? You know, a few store covered ingredients, a few spices, a few um, condiments, um, and then you could create really delicious tasting food. I mean, most of it, you know, I mean, most chefs will tell you that it's really 60% is, you know, all about the freshness of the ingredients and then possibly 30% skill, you know, which you can just learn that anyway. I mean, there's hope learn. for me. Do you think is is, is there hope for everybody else? Because you're a big uh, believer as well. I think you're a big believer as I am in food is thy medicine, Hippocrates kind of thing. You know, let food be thy medicine. So it's not only taste wonderful, it's not only quick and easy to make fresh ingredients, but actually it plays a huge part when it comes to health. Absolutely, I'm I'm so there. So when I started out in this, I thought, well, what do I really believe in? What's my message apart from the fact that I'm just a Chinese chef or a Chinese cook? And I wasn't really a proper chef, you know, more Chinese cook, home cook. And as I followed this food journey, and it's amazing how when you just let things flow, I think you just follow the path naturally and unveils certain things and lessons that I've learned. For instance, you know, I was writing it, you know, well, Chinese cuisine and it's thousands years old and the philosophy is about balancing yin and yang. And it's about that food is medicine. And I was taught that from a young age from my grandmother, you know, when I had nosebleeds, she would give me cucumber juice it was because of oh, the chi, the energy is too yang, it's too fiery. And so you need to have more cooling foods like vegetables or raw fruits. And um, although some fruits had yang energy, like lychees, so we don't go there. But it, it was this sort of intuitive way of eating. And, and so I started thinking, well, what's my message? And I really do want to go down this road of teaching people you can eat healthily, fresh and simply. But then I didn't know. So literally, cutting a long story short, you know, show after show, exploring China with Ken Hom and, you know, doing working in America. I had a few shows there called Restaurant Redemption, helping restaurants get on their feet, a bit like Gordon Ramsay's. Oh, I see. Yeah. When, yeah, yeah. When they were struggling yeah. and then he'd go in and, but I, I, I imagine yours was a less shouty affair. I was definitely less shouty <laughs> but yes but i um, but my record i have to say safe to say seven out of those 10 restaurants in each season actually they're still open so, really they made yes. it yeah i, 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 I like gordon ramsay's restaurant maybe. no i think his ratio is is not really good he doesn't mention it and i don't blame him for not mentioning it but yeah it's not really seven out of ten that remained open that's for sure with some of the challenges, but that's a really, cause you've never owned your own, have you owned your own restaurant? I could be wrong. I don't know. No, but. And that's the, the crazy thing that I, that is so contradictory. And really what I do is that um, I help a lot of restaurants and I do consult and I share them my recipes and if they need help, I'm there, but I've never owned a restaurant. I had a food factory, if you like kitchen, 
but yeah, never have a restaurant. Well, it's funny because I had a chain of juice bars, but I, I I didn't have them. In other words, I didn't own any of the juice bars. They were all franchised. And someone said, well, oh, right. you, you, obviously ha- you obviously had your own one to start with. I went, no, I didn't. No, never had a juice bar. And they just assumed <laughs> that I had a juice bar. And I, no, I didn't, but I knew I, had to, I knew I had to run one. I mean, just because yeah. you don't own one, if you've got a passion for a particular subject, as you do, particularly with food, then you can see what would work, what wouldn't. You know, when you first went into Pret and you saw, well, actually, that could be done better. Actually, that's taking the mickey out of people. There's a way that we can add this, do that. And that's an intuitiveness that I honestly think you can't go to college for, genuinely. I just don't think you can. You've either got it or you haven't in terms of if it's your passion and you love it and you believe in it, then your brain will find the answers along the way. So oh, if we could, if we did that, we did that, we did that. And that's why seven out of 10, great ratio of those <laughs> restaurants are still open, which is great. Just talking about food is thy medicine, obviously, which plays a huge part in Chinese culture. It doesn't so much in the Western world. And you can see the difference in disease and premature death, as harsh as that is. You know, there's a monumental difference when you eat clean. There's no question. I mean, people can argue about this as much as they want, but the evidence is clearly there. The body can deal with just about anything, small amounts, but actually what you do most of the time is fundamentally important. And we need the fresh food. We need fresh food. We need the live food going into our body as much as we can. And I know that one of your books, uh, Eat Clean, Walk Yourself to Health, which is quite good. Uh, Walk Yourself to Health. That's all about that, presumably, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, you know, you hit so many notes there for me that just resonate with me because by the time Eat Clean came, I was really quite stressed out because I had done four shows in America and my own health began to suffer as well. And, you know, I started getting allergies like hives and and I thought this is strange because I'd never had any of these allergies before. And it was one moment when we were taping where this was Easy Chinese show, I ate a prawn. And on camera, the producer said, Ching, we need to cut. And so why? It's like, your nose is swelling up (laughs) if you're not on camera. I was like, oh my God. And then suddenly you look down and my whole body was full of hives. And this was the last taping, you know, of the day. And everyone was so exhausted, but they had to plow me with Benadryl to get it down and the makeup artist like I don't know there's nothing you can do <laughs> because your face is fully red yeah, of course and but it was I mean I laugh now but it was really serious because mm. my heart was racing and it never ever happened to me before and it's quite a scary experience and then as the years went on that allergy became worse and so by the time it was 2014 I realized that actually hold on something's not right here And even though I was, I'd eat healthy, it was what was getting into the food that maybe it wasn't organic and, um, you know, my body was exhausted and it was inflamed and I was stressed. So it was a whole factor of things. You know, I was overworked and I myself, my body was out of balance. At that time, I started to, uh, I, I had a book a Dr. Younger, you know, it's all about detoxing. I had your juicing book. Uh, it was all, I think, all around that same time. And I thought to myself, right, I'm going to clean my diet up and I'm going to cut out things that I think are inflammatory. And so it was self-experimentation. And after sort of three months of cutting things out, of eating clean, just whole foods, nothing processed. And when I, at that time when the book came out and it was about eat clean, I think after that, it got a bit of a backlash, the whole eat clean movement, because I think people thought that literally it was cutting out 
certain food groups but it was for me my message of eating clean was that try to find organic pure whole foods to nourish yourself and ching do you know what that really annoys because I, I saw the whole eat clean backlash obviously as soon as something becomes popular i mean i've had a juicing backlash for 20 years i mean that's just how it is and i always say my point on this is very clear i make no apologies for it i make no apologies when i talk about eating clean i make no apologies for anything else because we're in a tippy-toe world that we're in and there's a health crisis there's no question there's a health crisis uh, that's been played out in particular during this uh, COVID time and who it ultimately affects compared to other people and so on. And you just go, well, why is it okay to talk about eating junk? I mean, why is it okay? No, no one taxes you for doing that. Oh, I had a, two burgers last night, I had 25 pints of lager, I had this, and that's okay. So the eat dirty, if there is such a thing, movement, right? So, the, so instead of eat clean, which I've never heard of eat dirty, I've just made that up, but imagine, right? So eat dirty campaign, right? Whatever it is, that never gets a backlash ever. No, no one says anything about that. But the very second you say eat clean, which is extraordinary because every single wild animal on earth, that's all they eat. Yes. They don't eat anything else. They don't go, oh, come on, you've got to live, have some Pringles. I've never heard a squirrel say that. It doesn't happen. And yet we're in this world where we get attacked by saying the humans should have what they do. Imagine koala bears all getting together on a, a koala bear, you know, a, a version of, of Twitter. And then somebody puts out a picture of something other than, you know, uh, eucalyptus leaves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, it, and all of a sudden they start saying, you can't do that. What you're doing is you've got to live a little. I mean, it doesn't, I did, that's one of the things that baffles me. So I think there's nothing wrong. Eat Clean Movement did get a backlash. But like you said, there's versions of Eat There's versions of vegetarianism. There's versions of, of all of these movements. And all of them have a healthy version. All of them have a healthy version. And if you do the healthy version, then you're good to go. But like you said, inflammation, sorry, to, but you said about inflammation, which I wanted to pick up on because most dis-ease, lifestyle dis-ease, uh, where your body's at dis-ease with itself is caused by inflammation. Mm -hmm. And so if you only consume anti-inflammatory foods, <laughs> i.e. fruits, vegetables, <laughs> you know, so, so yeah. then, then the inflammation goes down. And I think you said it not only happened in your case, but Jamie, your husband, like me, he had asthma. What was his asthma story? Because, you, you know, because he just changed his diet and, and I think his asthma improved or went or what's the story there? Yeah, so from the moment of Eat Clean to now Asian Green, in between, I'll just quickly go back a little bit. Yeah, sorry. But it's true that eating dirty, it, no one talks about it and it's okay. But whereas when we talk about eating healthier, then there's lots of mixed messages. And so I, anyway, I just find that bit just really interesting. And and actually from Eat Clean to now Asian Green, it's been a few years. And during the, those few years, I myself have been going through a learning journey because since then, Jamie, my husband, decided from going from a meat eater, from being vegetarian to being completely plant-based vegan, has just been extraordinary on his health because he's also he's always suffered from asthma, literally from when he was two years old. Wow. Uh, the doctors diagnosed that he's got you know allergies and that you know he can't breathe properly, and so um, you know they've always had to be very very careful with him, and. Since going vegan, his asthma, within one month, you, could, you know, his sinuses, he would have huge blocks, you know, sinuses in the morning and he couldn't 
breathe or his his eczema and psoriasis we had psoriasis and eczema as well so did i so we were very similar me and you and yeah, very, yeah. Very similar and um within a month of that that all reduced and naturally calmed down and within three months he didn't need his inhaler it was really it was really transforming and shocking for me because i was like are you sure you're gonna exercise you're gonna go out for a run now you're not gonna take your inhaler he goes yeah i don't need it anymore and then the more that we realized that actually it was him going plant-based that he completely doesn't need his inhaler um, or preventative. Well, because the inflammation's not there, it seems uh, patently obvious. Now, the, the of course, anybody listening here that might think um, this is irresponsible of me to say that asthma could be cured, because uh, that's how people are. They're a bit odd sometimes. You can uh, They like negativity rather than positivity. I'm uh, Again, if you know my work, if you know me, then you will know, especially if you've seen the film Super Juice Me, I'm a huge advocate in both. There's a happy medium. So is there any need for short-term and long-term medical intervention? Absolutely. And is there a, a time when we can look at other ways and alternatives to potentially see if the body is in the position to heal? Not in every case. I was lucky. Your husband was lucky. In other words, it's like, hey, Jason, there's nature. Nature, there's Jason. I hope you get on. We got on like fire. Jamie, there's nature. Nature, there's Jamie. I hope you guys get on. And they did. And for me, it was one month and I didn't have to use my inhaler. I did still keep it on me. And I would always say first do no harm was the number one doctorate. The, you know, as a doctorate, that was the, the oath. First do no harm. Mm-hmm. And I would say, first of all, the pharmaceutical industry and whoever invented the asthma pump saved my life. Without that, I'd be dead. And so would probably uh, Jamie as well. So I'm far from knocking that at all. But what we're looking at, not one single medical practitioner asked me what I was eating or drinking. Not one. That's what he says. He's not anti-medicine because, as you say, you know, he's grateful for the times that he's had like when he's broken his arm or he's had issues and and including this asthma that he wouldn't have got this far without it but whenever you know even just going talking about his father who had you know type 2 diabetes and this was years ago when they were trying to diagnose it you know it's very very moody mood swings and Mm. um uh cranky and they went to the gp and they tried to intervene with his health and and they would ask the doctor and say you know is there anything you could do is it diet related could it be you know something Mm. that and they're like, no, no, no. In the end, if they found out, in the end, his mum was like, no, I think he's definitely got some issue with his health, and we need to get. And it was diabetes. They they found out he had diabetes. He then had to try and reverse it through diet. And he himself hasn't been that successful. It's just under control. But my mum had type two diabetes, and she's managed to completely reverse hers. So our own experience and through our own understanding, you know, in our family is that, you know, disease can be reversed. So, you know, I, I suffer less from my allergies now because I am eating healthier. And I realize, and it's a self-diagnosis, but I have an allergy to sulfites. So whenever I have, you know, wines, when I have frozen ice cream or something that, you know, has a lot of sulfites, and I think that's where the allergy comes mm. from. So this is, it's very much a self-diagnosis, but it's from listening to my own body and cutting out, you know, different things and then testing to see if I'd have a reaction. But I think food, I mean, being a chef and being a cook, I didn't realize that actually from talking that food is medicine, that it would actually reveal itself that it is medicine in my husband's case. Well, there's another way to look at it. You could say that food is medicine, which it is. On the other side, you could say, if you look at the wild animals to bring them back into play again, you could say, because they're not 
having anything that i mean all of their food isn't medicine because they're not ill right so therefore so so in other words it wasn't food that was medicine so much it was food that was disease causing so food was disease the wrong kind of foods are disease causing rather than these foods are medicine because actually all all that happens i believe is that it just finds its natural equilibrium again the way that it was always meant to be so yes although it does appear to which it does it helps to get rid of asthma helps to get rid of this it's more the other things causing them rather than this getting rid of them does that make sense like once you've once you've eliminated those things and you've had what the body primarily craves not what the mind craves that's a whole different ball game (laughs) what the the mind craves is that's what we've all got to deal with that's a whole different it's that's why it's easier said than done and i suppose that's why in the wild it's easy for them just to have what nature intended because they don't have television or uber eats or anything else so so it's a little bit a little bit easier but yeah like in jamie's case asthma went right so in your type 2 diabetes go super juice me the film that i made illustrated that you remove the toxicity replace the deficiency the vast majority of lifestyle diseases just be clear here to everybody lifestyle diseases and i don't know what baffles people why it baffles people that if you the lifestyle disease caused by your lifestyle and you change your lifestyle why is it so shocking when it improves i mean it's like yeah <laughs> i mean i mean i'm amazed that we're even having to talk about it i mean we think we're the most intelligent species on earth the wild animals like i said just crack on with it yeah. um because that's all they do. And yet we, we've overcomplicated the issue, overcomplicated. And like you said, when you start talking about this issue, as you did in many of your books, but walk yourself to health in particular and eat clean, and then you get attacked for it. What kind of a species we become that you get attacked for encouraging people to eat well? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. So the world is full of contradictions and there's duality in everything. I think with Asian Green, my whole point, I mean, I've learned my lesson from Eat Clean. It was the worst selling book that I ever had. And I, no. I realized, yeah, I realized, but, and, and yet I was so proud of it because I was like, well, this is, if anything, this is the most important message in terms of that I feel that I've learned in terms of food. And now even more so with Asian greens, um, I'm not saying that everyone should overnight and would cure everything if they went completely on a... No, of course not. Diet. No, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that either for a nanosecond, always saying, I think I'm speaking on your behalf, but I think we're just saying, look, get more of the good stuff in, eat more plants. You got a better chance of feeling better. That's it. That's Absolutely. And if there was a way that, you know, you could add more veggies in a much more interesting way, where you feel that actually this is really delicious and hits those notes, if we're going to compare it to naughty eating or, you know. Well, talking of which as well, people want to get into genuine cooking, right? Fresh ingredients, as we've said. And for most people, the barrier, it is true. Most it's either time or the thought that they can't cook. So therefore, it's too complicated. They see chefs on television cutting up fruits and vegetables in a nanosecond with the knives, and they look all very slick and everything else, and they think they're going to be there for hours. What would you say to them? What's the biggest tip you can give to anybody at the moment who's really has a lot of stand-up eating just with bread and sandwiches and you know, the health might be really down the other way. And when they cook for themselves, it's just pasta and this, that, and the other. So where would you kick off? Where would you start if you were somebody from couch to kitchen or from couch to kitchen? That'd be good. I like that title as well. From couch to kitchen. We've come up with dirty eating and couch to kitchen. What a great name for a book. Yeah, great. Um, well, I would say literally just, you know, think of three food groups. So your eat raw, so 30%. So um, for example, you know, three meals a day, if you're having three meals a day, first meal, you know, think of one meal where it's all just raw. Okay. 
like you, you know, raw juice. Or juice, exactly. My, my breakfast is always raw. No, it is. It's genuinely, it's always raw. Yeah. Yeah. And or a really big salad for lunch. And it's got like 10 different like red onion. Nice. Different fresh ingredients there. Different leaves, greens, everything raw. Different colours, essentially. Raw. Different colours. And as many, many green veg in there as possible. Yeah, greens. Greens where it's at. Nothing on earth would exist without the colour green. It wouldn't, would it? Colour green is that important. If there's no green, uh, there's no oxygen, there's no life. So that's, it's pretty, it's pretty important colour food. The Chinese philosophy believe that raw foods are detoxifying. So it's good to have a portion where it's raw, then lightly cooked or steamed or stir fried. That helps to break down the cellular at a cellular level that, you know, the vegetables that help sure. assimilate. So we call that nourishing food where it's steamed and um, got it. lightly cooked. And again, this is all, you know, pure foods, pure form. Of course, you'd add oil, a little bit of vinegar, which is essential in Chinese cooking, maybe a little bit of rice wine. We tend to view rice wine as it kills, you know, any bacteria, anything that's not good for you. But a good fermented wine, a little bit is okay. And if you don't take wine, that's fine. You can just leave it out. And then a good quality, light, dark soy sauce. Again, one that's not full of nasties or as pure as you can be. And it's a little bit difficult with sauces and pastes and things that we buy from the supermarket, but a little bit is enough. Yeah, because if you look on the ingredients, something like hoisin sauce, I mean, I can believe how much sugar was in there and stuff like that. You're like, oh my God, I didn't realize. Absolutely, absolutely. But only a little goes a long way. Sure. just a little bit of everything, just with to flavor food and lightly cooked. And then the third element is, you know, think about foods that I know we in the West label it as superfoods, but actually all foods have this. So, for example, you know, ginger is very yang. It's antifungal, antibacterial. Everything- Best antihistamine on, on earth. Yeah. Natural antihistamine. That's what I mean. Ginger shots, as in the, drinking the juice from fresh ginger, uh, is what got rid of my severe hay fever and helps with asthma and allergies. It is the number one go to, uh, mm-hmm. especially mixed with apple. But anyway, yes. So, yeah. Go. Yes. So, so, exactly that. So, ginger or goji berries, which are full of beta carotene, they're good for your eyes. Whatever other ailments that you have that you're finding, is to boost those ingredients in your cooking. So to approach it like that, you know, when you, in, in a day, you say, okay, I'm going to have my raw fruits or raw veg, or I'm going to have my lightly steamed, lightly cooked vegetables so they retain nutrients. And then the last element is whole grains plus this element of what we call superfoods to give you the energy other sustenance, but also a little boost in terms of what you need specifically targeted for your well-being, for your health. So whether it's, you know, oh, my eyes are not so good, so I'm going to have a hit of um, a handful of goji berries, or like you say, you know, I've got some allergies and ginger's really good for that, or I feel like I've got a cold coming on and I've got a runny nose and, you know, maybe you have some lemon, or I'm not sleeping very well, then maybe have some herbal tea, sort of approaching it in these three steps. So it's really simple. I like it. Yeah, I was going to say it's really simple, isn't it? Yeah, like in terms of making that evening meal or whatever it is, and they're throwing something together because they might think it's a bit difficult as well, like I said. So they, they, they know they need some superfoods in there and some, but you're talking about just fresh ingredients, chopping them up. Are you talking about putting them into a wok, a little bit of oil, like you said, and what kind of grains would you have with it? Are you a noodle fan, rice fan, quinoa fan, all of the above? 
what what's the all of the above but of course in asian cuisine you have a lot of starches like noodles and rice but of course everything in balance so you have some brown rice um you can mix the grains you know we have brown rice mixed with mung beans with yellow beans you can have lentils i mean you know stir fried all of them to make a mixed stir fried even with quinoa as well is fine that's sort of very pure wrist very healthy i like the staples rice and noodles i'm a big fan of both of those yeah. i'm a big fan of rice and noodles in fact the only cookbook that i've ever written was going to be called there's more to life than quinoa um that was going <laughs> to and because i because i thought because at the time everybody was just going guess what i'm having quinoa for dinner it's like great lovely wonderful there are other things out there and it's like they're, they're almost showing off that they're having quinoa and not rice it's like rice is good there's nothing wrong with rice so you know we're talking about that balance isn't it like you said plenty of veg that's the key thing isn't it plenty of veg again and these little kickers that you call these superfoods as we're talking about the gingers of this world the chilies of this world you know these little kickers the lemons the something a little bit extra that the body just might require and all different color foods going in um, but anybody can do this right Anyone can do it. So like, for example, if I'm doing a stir fry, easiest way, just have garlic, ginger, chilies and spring onion. The big guns. The big guns. I call them the big guns, by the way. They're the big guns. guns. Yeah, we call, I call them the awesome foursome. Oh, nice. They're the big guns. I do call them the big guns. Every time if Kate's cooking me something that's going to be Asian, I go, the big guns going in. And she, <laughs> and, and she knows they're the big guns. You've got to have the big guns in. I agree. Yeah. Because each, and that's the easiest. I know people will say, oh God, you put it in God, every single dish. But Good. it's true because they, you extract, you know, and it's just being greedy with as much nutritional hits that you could put in, in one dish. So you're getting the best out of it. You know, you're getting the best out of every meal. I feel like we need to be greedy with the goodness from fresh food, you know, getting the fiber, getting all their nutrients in and so out of the nine books, okay, that you've, I mean, God, you've, I mean, you've been on everything, Saturday Kitchen, Food and Drink, Munch Punch, Sunday Brunch, Brigitte Average, Lorraine, it just goes on, let alone in America, all the series that you did, like you said, even that one that I'd even have here when you were helping restaurants, which seven out of 10 succeed, which is a great ratio, but the day show ratio really just goes on and on and on. Uh, but in terms of books, I'm just starting out and I'm thinking, now I'm going to be biased already with your books and I would already recommend Asian Green. I know it's your latest, I understand all that, but I would. I would definitely, from what I've seen through, I was just like, that's the one. You you can't flick the pages without just going, I'm about to get in the kitchen tonight. You can't. It's like, that's what's happening because um, it's just beautiful. And so that would be where I, where I would go if, I was, if I'm new to you or just want to do something quick and easy or whatever the case is. What books, if you could pick top two, top three, that you would say, right, these are the ones you want to get off the couch, couch to kitchen. And so which three, which top two or three? I would say Asian green for plant-based. And I would say Chinese made easy if you're starting out in cooking. And then in the middle, I would say, I mean, eat clean is yes definitely up there as well i think certainly for people listening to this a lot of people listening to this are juice advocates and and clean eating and you know health help people that focus on their health so you know it's okay to say eat clean book on on here uh walk yourself to health it, it's fine so eat eat clean walk yourself to health asian green just come out mm -hmm. superb book that i've seen i haven't seen the walk yourself to health yet but I, I i do intend to look at all and then chinese food made easy right that that's going to appeal to everybody easy that's what people want now they, they want easy and also that's a book more for entertaining if you've got family and friends and different flexitarian eaters and listen to that flexitarian now why have i've been on this planet for all this time and why have i not heard of flexitarians Flexitarians are, you know, I like it. <laughs> dip, dip in and out of 
uh, well, they, they're trying to be more plant-based, but they're on that journey and they're not quite there yet. So they do dip into, uh, you know, meat. and Yeah, or a bit of fish or a bit of this. I suppose, I suppose I went from a vegan for seven years and I guess I didn't know what I am now, but flexitarian is precisely what I am. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm exactly a flexitarian. Uh, yeah, I didn't have an expression for it before. I just used to say I'm more flexible, but I suppose that's what it is. It's a flexitarian. It's always good to be an, an un of some kind, isn't it? You know, what are you? You know, people like a title, don't they? With every diet, there is a yin and a yang. So like with a plant-based eating diet, it can be very purist, very healthy, but it can also be unhealthy because there are a lot of processed plant-based ingredients out there. Oh, with huge, huge amounts. Yeah, huge amounts. You know, full of GMOs, genetically modified ingredients that... Um, that, that, that One sugar. Eat. I mean, a lot of refined sugar. You've got to bear in mind yeah. that's vegan. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. What a lot of people, you know, I, a lot of people don't realize you can have a, you know, very healthy vegetarian and a very unhealthy meat eater, but you can flip reverse that. I said on one of my other podcasts that, you know, the problem with a lot of vegetarians is that they're not vegetarians. They are carbarians, I call them, because they haven't eaten a vegetable in years. Um, yeah. and, and, and also, even if you are relatively purist, and I say this on every podcast in case it's the only one they're listening to and they haven't heard the message before. I'm a big advocate now of this is that, look, everybody's different. Your lifestyle is different. Everybody approaches it differently. There is, there's no right or wrong. Everybody has their own way of dealing with their food nemesis, their food addictions or whatever it is. What I would say is this, is that I became wheat-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, you know, whatever for, for seven years, pure vegan, but it was a journey that I needed and everything else. And I enjoyed it. And, and the minute I didn't, the minute I felt it was hindering my life for whatever reason, I stopped it. I became more flexible. And the reason for that is that because you don't want to spend your one and only life trying to extend your life only to realize you missed your life in the process. But I'm a strong believer that if your only focus every day is to try and extend your life, that's it. So like you're doing everything, but you're missing every party on earth. You're missing everything. You're, you're, and that, but yet you feel, you feel great every day, but what have you done? Well, you know, I had some quinoa. Well, well done you. But that's not going to, when you're sitting in your rocking chair, you don't look back on life and go, you know, I'm really glad I ate nothing but quinoa. You know, it's, but there's a, <laughs> but, but, but there's a balance. And I think it's important, particularly if somebody is ill in any way, that you might have to go through a journey of significant length of time where mm. you actually can't afford to be a flexitarian, where mm. actually you need a reset. You know, you need a, a genuine reset when it comes to health so your body has chance to heal. So I would just say to anybody listening out there that if you think that whether it's Ching or myself or any of my guests or this podcast in general advocates that if you have anything that's slightly impure that, that is going to make you ill, it's not, right? The point is, it's majority. What do you do the majority of the time and do you need to go on a health journey? And moreover, we're all human and as humans, we enjoy food. It's more than just fuel. In fact, we're cooking tonight because I thought I'm doing a podcast today. So we are cooking from Asian Green tonight, just so you know. Make the Waikiki bowl. Okay, I can go shopping today. The Waikiki bowl. Okay, I'm going to look at that. Okay, Waikiki bowl. Tomorrow, I'll let you know what I thought of the Waikiki. I'm sure it's going to be, <laughs> all of them are going to be nice, aren't they? But Chinese cuisine, everything, it's just, hey, everybody knows it's healthy. You feel light afterwards. You don't feel heavy. That's mm -hmm. how it is. It's 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 always the case. So I think intuitive eating, as you've touched on a lot during this podcast, which is a valuable lesson people can learn. Intuitive, you know, instead of you know self-diagnosis, and I'm not talking about disease, I'm talking about knowing which foods make you feel a bit weird. Um, and I think only the only person that can know that is you because it's different for everybody. Uh, I eat pasta, I feel really bloated. I eat rice, I don't. Even if it's white rice, some people do, some people don't. So listen, I don't know, I don't know Jamie, but tell him well done for changing his health and being plant-based and getting rid of his asthma, which is a phenomenal feat considering he had it from more or less from birth, from two years of age. I mean, I didn't develop it till I was eight or nine and we'll end on this, but 
What are your aspirations? What's your ultimate dream in terms of when it comes to cooking or helping somebody who who inspire who you think oh, I'd love to do that or is it, is it a chain of restaurants is it this what more would be like the the icing on the cake for you I just want people to eat well and yeah, eat home cooked dishes I haven't I'm lost really no it's hard because you do, do you know why you're lost and it's a wonderful thing I ask this to most of my guests and it's fine because most of them end up being a bit lost on it which is great because it means that they're already doing what they love wherever this takes you doesn't because you're actually happy right now that's the point and that's the wonderful thing you haven't got to always be goal orientated i'm opening a new retreat eventually and if your diary permits i'd love you to come along to the opening part i just that would be amazing yeah listen thank you so much um for coming on this podcast i, I mean i've really enjoyed this because it's been different to some of the podcasts that I, I normally do but i think there's some wonderful messages in here i think your husband's story is motivational and yours obviously for coming to the uk and then just making everything work which is incredible and all your success in america and i just think i've got this feeling that all of it it's one of those you know, Ching will become as common as Jamie, not your husband. But as soon as you talk about Jamie in the cooking world, everybody knows he doesn't need a surname. And that's why you're known as Ching, because you don't need a surname. Even Gordon really doesn't need a surname. It's one of them. Delia, she doesn't need a surname. But funny enough, Gary Rhodes did. So we'll leave it there. So <laughs> back thank in the you so much, Jason. Uh, you really, thank you. I'm so honored to be on your podcast and everything that you're doing for everybody. Uh, is amazing. It's nothing more enlightening, more humbling and a gift to everybody than that. Yeah, so. no, I completely agree. And, every, and when you turn your life around through the power of nature, which is what it is, it's, mm. a, it's a wonderful feeling. You feel better than before, really, because you go, well, I know what, what can happen if I don't. So Asian green, everyone. Okay. Eat clean, walk yourself to health. And of course, Chinese food made easy. I'd like to thank my guest today so much to go through. I mean, that's why I think we're going to have to have a second podcast at some point. Um, but because there's just too much. I mean, the length of time that you've got on a podcast, it's never enough. I mean, I found I find this out with every guest that I have. It's just, it's just never quite enough. So yes, everybody, it is a master chef without question. Ching Hee Wang, everybody. Thank you very much for doing it. Thank you.